Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hi, I've got. My guest today is Marcia Koenig, and she is somebody with lots of experience and expertise in search and rescue training. She's going to talk on the topic today of training errors. So, Marcia, can you first introduce yourself and tell my listeners something about yourself? Yes. Um, actually, I've been in search and rescue dogs longer than many of you have been alive. <laughs> I started... <laughs> in 1972 and have been a member of a number of units and uh, started a number of units, done all sorts of training. I'm on my fourth certified dog and uh, have had some other dogs too and helped a lot of people. My husband, Andy Redman, and I give classes all over, although we're pretty much retired right now, but um, we give classes in search dog techniques. So what I'm going to do today is talk about uh, training principles and how to figure out your own problems because there's not always somebody available. So if you understand some of the training principles, you should be able to figure out and correct your own problems. That's great because um, I'm certainly in that situation where there's not a lot of people with expertise nearby um, for me to train with. So go ahead and give us the talk, and if I think of any questions afterwards, I'll ask them. Okay. Well, first of all, there are as many ways to train things as there are people to think them up. So don't figure that somebody has all the answers. If it doesn't work for you, try something different. Now, I because search and rescue is supposed to be fun, we rely on positive training methods rather than negative training methods. Um, and that's what I'm going to be talking about today. Uh, first, what we're doing with the dog. The dog's behavior, uh, hunt behavior, is hardwired into them. And all we're doing is taking the hardwired behavior of chasing game and getting it and killing it and all that, and we're just modifying it to look for people and unless it's a police dog, we don't want them to bite the people. Uh, we, want, we want them to get some kind of reward, though. So, first of all, a good search dog has some kind of reward system. That means that they either like play or they like food, or best of all, a combination of the two. If you have a dog that's kind of a couch potato and... Uh, you can't motivate it with either things. Yeah, they'll do search work for a little while, but after a while they'll just go off on their own and just whatever interests them. So you've got to have some kind of reward system. And I, I can't say it strongly enough, and along with the reward system goes the subject. The subject has to be willing to get the dog all excited and play with them and 
uh, you know, give them treats, whatever it takes, run away from them, have the dog find them and get a chance to tug a toy or chase a toy. Um, but it's really important to have a good subject. It will make training a whole lot easier and it's more fun for the dog. What happens is most dogs will search for somebody if you're, if you're using uh, air scent or area search. But after a while, you will find that uh, the dog, instead of letting you know they found somebody, they'll start wandering off on their own and go looking for their own things. And so what do you do in this case? Okay, I'm going to talk a little bit about phases of learning and then talk about how you can uh, figure this out. Uh, anything you do, you break into small steps. If the dog doesn't understand it, uh, break it into smaller steps. A lot of people say, hey, he knows how to do this. Well, when you see your dog looking at you and doing the wrong thing, they don't know it. They're not being stubborn. So break it into smaller steps. Um, we try to train for one thing at a time. For example, as I mentioned before, if you're having your dog do its find indication, in the United States it's the refind. The dog finds the subject, comes back, tells you about it, and then leads you back in. Um, we want the dog to really know how to do that. So if you're working on that, we do a lot of refine problems at a time rather than doing the whole search thing and then doing the refine at the end. We want to get lots of repetitions in. Um, another thing is chaining the steps backward. And this means that if you've got a problem, it is better to go from something you don't know into something you do. For example, if you, if you have a child or you've seen a child do a, a piano recital and they start out really strong and they get midway and they hesitate a little bit and then they get to the end of the piece and they don't know what's going on and they, so they start all over again and try and, and do that and finally ends up in tears. In order to avoid something like that, you train the last step first. So as the child does the piano recital, they start out with something that they know less and move into something that they know more and more till by the time they get to the end, they've practiced that part so often that they get very confident and they know what to do. So what we do in training search dogs is we train the I found the subject indications first. And it's, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but it helps. So back to the problem. Let's, we've got a dog that does a refind, and uh, it worked out great in the beginning. They did their search. They found the subject, and now they just seem to be kind of blah about it. Uh, they wander off and go do their own. They look for critters and, um, and a, a deer poop or whatever. So what we do here is we... Start again, and we make sure that the animal knows what the refind is. So we train the refind as a separate step, and we also make sure that the subject really plays with the dog. Of course, when you have uh, an actual search and you find somebody, the subject may not play with the dog, but by then the behavior will be fixed in the dog's mind. 
So we work on that. We work on um, on little pieces of that, and then we put the whole thing into the puzzle so that the dog is looking to search, which they don't know how to do quite as well, but when they find the subject, they know exactly what to do. They come back, they tell you, and they lead you back in. Or they bark at the subject, which is uh, a lot of the Europeans use. Uh, and you want to get this behavior fluent. We talk in uh, learning languages that when you learn a language, you're not fluent in it in the beginning. You are fluent when you can do things quickly without cueing, and uh, you can do it without errors. So this is fluency, and then you're going to um, maintain this. And we want to do this behavior in all sorts of, whatever the behavior is, in all sorts of uh, situations, because dogs are not as good at generalization as people are. In other words, they don't, uh, if you have them sit, come and sit in front of you, if you turn your back to them, they won't know what to do until they, they've learned what to do. So we always do search problems in different situations so that when you come upon the actual situation, it will work. Uh, for example, I went down to the Texas Fireman's Training School many years ago, and we did problems in rubble with the dogs. And then two months later, there was this huge uh, tornado in Wichita Falls with three funnel clouds, and we got there. I was the only dog handler there. Uh, I got in the middle of the rubble, and my dog was shaking, and I was shaking. And then I looked around, and it was like, oh, well, this is like we did at the Texas Fireman's Training School, except that it's much bigger. So I relaxed. My dog relaxed. We had done something before. Um, any questions? No, I'm... You know, one thing I think it's nice that you touched on about the subject needing to be energetic and rewarding to the dog because one of the speakers who I have coming up in a future episode, and I hope I'm going to pronounce his name right, Robert Noziska, has offered to talk on that subject. I saw him give a great talk on that several years ago at a conference. And so I think it's really nice that you mentioned that because that's something that um, my listeners will hear more about in the future. Well, I can't, I cannot stress that strongly enough. That mm -hmm. will help make a dog that's just a medium dog that's kind of halfway interested in things, and they can actually bring that out in a dog. I think that's great. I want to give another example of something where people are having trouble. Let's say you're training a trailing dog and you're having trouble with starts. Well, instead of doing just one problem in your training session, what I do is I do, I have somebody run a trail, and I have them stop at various areas in the trail. So the first segment, I segment the trail up. So the first seg I start my dog, find the subject fairly quickly in the first segment. Then we go on to the second segment. And they do it again. And then we go on to the third segment, and they do the, the start again. Because I want to work on starts. So you've got to break it up into small pieces. And in the beginning, you know where things are. You know what the problem is like. Testing, training is not testing. We're not going to test the dog until the dog is quite good at things. Uh, a good rule of thumb is 
80% of the time. When they do something 80% of the time without any cueing on your part, then you can go on to the next step or then you can, uh, you can do a test to see if the dog actually knows how to do it. Oh, I did want to say that most of my information comes from Karen Pryor's book, Don't Shoot the Dog. So that will give you some, some more examples of things. Mm-hmm. So anything more? No, I think um, I certainly know from my own experience, uh, you know, I have nearly as much experience as you, but that was my tendency at first was to want to try and do something really big. And, you know, at least I learned that, no, 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 I just needed to do a lot of small things before moving on to the next step. But the, I think for most people beginning, there's that tendency is, boy, I really want to see if my dog can do it all. Yeah. So, okay, I'm going to go through the phases of learning again and just kind of give you some idea. And I would suggest that you look online. Uh, Karen Pryor has a wonderful a website on clicker training. It doesn't have to be clicker training. A clicker is simply an indication to the dog that they've done the right thing and that reward is coming. You can use a yes. I like a clicker because it's a, a very different sound that the dog immediately responds to. But it can be a yes or whatever you want to say. Okay, we get to the first thing is phases of learning. Teaching something. Break what you want into small steps. And with each step, make sure that the dog has a better than 50% chance of succeeding. The idea is we want to break it into small enough steps so that the dog can succeed at that particular step. Uh, Two, train one thing at a time. Uh, Dogs learn faster if they only have one thing to learn at a time. Uh, So if I'm working on starts and trailing, I'm not working on turns as much. I'm focusing on one thing. Uh, three, end problems successfully. This is for you and for the dog. If you have something that goes south on you, uh, figure out a smaller problem and make it successful because the dog also picks up on your attitude and it's like, oh, I had a good problem, um, you know, and then you put the dog up or you go home or whatever. Uh, it, it, it works as uh, a reward for both you and the dog is to end things successfully. Four is chain steps backward, which I talked about. In other words, you're always working from something that you know less well into something that you know better. And another one, that number five, is lower criteria or simplified training when in a new area. Now, this is something I didn't mention that before, but let's say you're working at your dog uh, chasing a ball. Your dog is kind of mediocre at that, so you work at home, and they, they chase the ball. They chase other toys. Then you go out to training and you throw the ball and the dog chases it for a little way and then loses interest. And you go, but but he did it perfectly in the backyard. That's true. You're in a new situation. Anytime you're in a new situation, you lower your criteria or you lower your expectations, it'll get back up really fast. But don't expect the high behavior that you've trained in familiar surroundings, when you get into a new surrounding, uh, it's going to be a little bit less, but you can get it back up again. Uh, That's one of the reasons why we try to get the dog in as many new situations as possible. So then, that's the teaching phase. Then developing fluency, and as I've said 
Affluency is defined as doing the behavior quickly and accurately. Think of typing. If you can type quickly but you have a lot of mistakes, you're not fluent in typing. Oh, I'm sorry, keyboarding. I learned <laughs> typing. Uh, keyboarding, okay. Uh, or if you do it slowly without mistakes, you're still not fluent in it. You have to be fast and accurate. So you develop your fluency. Uh, the next is ensuring automatic response. And I mentioned about teaching uh, sit in front of you. Dogs are just not good at generalization. So we make sure that they have lots of different uh, types of situations. Uh, we had a mudslide here. And this was the first time some of the dogs had been introduced to the mudslide at Oso. It was a little difficult for them. So what we have done now is we've done some trainings in mucky situations so that were we to respond to something like that again, the dogs would have some experience with it and it would be easier for them to adapt to it, also easier for you. Then we have maintenance, which is maintaining the skills by practicing at least twice a month or more frequently. Um, and then if you're having training problems, back up to where the dog was successful. It doesn't take long to get back to where you were, but we want to start from where they were successful. And then... Um, Make sure they have a good foundation for this. Uh, it doesn't help to move along really fast if the dog doesn't have a good foundation of what you want them to do, such as the refine. Once you get a good foundation, then you can move back up again, and it comes fairly quickly. It's not as slow as it was the first time. And then, let's see. Um, so we, want, we, we have the teaching phase. The developing the fluency, automatic response, which is no matter where you are, and then maintenance, and then if you have problems, break it down into small pieces and look at some of the training principles and see if you can figure it out yourself. Okay, any questions? No, I think that's great the way you, you kind of bullet pointed so that, um, you know, as people go back and think about what you just said, um, you know, you've got it bullet pointed so that you can think which phase am I at and where, you know, what am I ultimately working towards and um, how can I identify myself what I need to change. And if you want to look at some of this, the cadaver, I, I wrote this up for the Cadaver Dog Handbook, but if you don't have that book or don't want to get it, um, get Karen Pryor's uh, don't shoot the dog. And it gives it, I've, what I've done is I've taken her, her points of phases of learning and all this other stuff and, and had it uh, kind of modified it so that it pertains to search and rescue work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and it's nice that, you know, these steps, it doesn't matter what discipline you're, you're training your dog, these are all applicable to every discipline. Right, and that's that's really important. And in fact, it works with anything that you're training. Yeah, my previous podcast, I interviewed two people actually train dogs to perform, and not in search and rescue, but um, one does sort of trick dog shows, and the other one, canine freestyle, where they dance with their dogs. And it's interesting because there's some a lot of overlap in the general principles that they talked about. 
Right. No, it, it over it overlaps a lot. And mm-hmm. it also works with training people and children and husbands and whatever. <laughs> coworkers. <laughs> yes, coworkers. Yeah. So, I think um, it's also nice to know that uh, you know, if you can find the right motivating thing, I think early on that you talked about earlier, that's really helpful for getting your dog to to eventually learn everything you want him or her to learn. I was thinking that after listening to this, if people have some questions uh, and problems that they can't work out themselves, that if they send them in to you, and then we could always do a follow-up later. Yeah, that's um, exactly how how I I announce on the podcast um, the the, um, email address, which is podcast at nsda.org. Um, but I'll announce that also. Okay, the I think, and the I, end. you know, I think, and then we can just do a follow-up rather than being general. And yeah, that would be great. Give some suggestions for that. Yeah, I think if people have specific problems, that's always good to hear about. Because I know you and I conversed via email about a specific problem that right. I had with my previous dog. And although my dog passed away, it's in my memory banks in case either a teammate or myself encounters that problem in the future. Okay. So, all right. Well, let me hit the um, end recording button here. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus.